Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. And now this, this verse continues to say, by the renewing of your mind, but I want to pause there and just highlight the fact that sometimes our theology stops there. And I want to start by kind of clarifying a little bit of what our church is about and even some of the pushback over the four years about that theology. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Which bears to think what does transformed look like? And some people think it looks like not being conformed to the pattern of this world. Be separate, be different, be holy. And I've had a lot of pushback on, not a lot, but some on how come we don't, how come I don't teach more of the kind of the do's and don'ts of the Bible? Like how we ought to live. Tell me, tell me what to do and not do, Shane, so that I can go do it. Uh, more specifically, um, teaching about how to not be conformed to this world and how important that is. Uh, to be separate, to be holy. After all, being transformed means being not like the world. And, and frankly, this line of thinking is biblical. In fact, three quarters of the Bible teaches this concept. Be separate from the Gentiles because they're unclean. They eat pigs, bacon. You can't associate with them. In fact, you aren't even allowed to go into their house. Remember when Peter was up on the roof and he had this vision of like animals. It was like super weird. And then God was like, go to Cornelius's house. I'm going to do something awesome now for you and I. Cornelius sounds like a cool guy, but Cornelius was a Gentile and unclean. You're not allowed to even step foot in the threshold of his house. And so Peter was like, mind blown, no way, because I'm separate, I'm different, and those people out there are not. And so get away, I'm going to build a fortress around me and say, this is my world and we're awesome, and you are not, you're bad people. This is, this is kind of the, the way that the Old Testament taught. God's people and then everybody else. Believe it or not, um, there's a lot of people that actually like that kind of teaching because it just lays it out. How many, how many just really enjoy in life being told specifically what to do and not do? Like it makes it clear, right? This is a win and this is not a win and do that and you'll succeed. Clear. And then when you do that and you become awesome, you can judge everybody else that are not awesome because there's a clear leveling system. You see me up here and you're down here. You see the difference? It's huge. So be more like me. Let me teach you. Let me show you something. And this was the culture and environment that Jesus came was you had the Pharisees, rulers. Hey, we have figured out what to do and we've mastered it. And then We've just kind of pushed everybody else down and said, yeah, y'all, y'all can try to be like us, but good luck. I mean, have you seen this? This doesn't happen overnight. There's a lot of hard, diligent do-goodism that's made this happen. And so this is the environment. After all, good behavior is how we prove we are Christians 
and please God. If I can just do a little better this year, I'm going to find life. I'm going to find what I've been looking for. I'm going to find wholeness. The book we're going through, uh, 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 being, being okay on the inside. I'm going to find that if I can just be a little better. And I know that sounds religious, but let's be honest, like you and I, it's easy to slip into that. Like, I just want to do, do a little better and I'm going to find life. Um, I've told the story before, but it's been a while. Um, anybody ever been on a hot air balloon ride? You've, you've been on a hot, anybody else? Typically, I don't have more than two or three. You've been on a hot air, come on. So growing up, I always admired the hot air balloons. Now, you know, like the, you overlook over to the Del Mar area and it just looks like they're just soaring about, right? Not a care in the world. It's just beautiful. So for my senior prom, I thought, how cool would it be if I took my date before the dance on a hot air balloon ride? Like, I know that sounds crazy, but in my mind, I'm like, how rad would that be to kind of set this whole thing apart? And so I looked into the yellow pages because that's what you had back then. And I'm like looking for a hot air balloon ride, you know, uh, deal. And I finally found one. It was awesome. It looked like, I mean, it was a lot of money. I spent it. We finally got out to the Del Mar fairgrounds. This is a true story. I was 18 years old. Went out to the fairgrounds and um, there was like probably... 10 hot air balloons, you know, being blown up. And they're all beautiful colors and amazing. And so I kind of like, which one is ours? Kind of going to stand next. I think this is probably ours because it's really beautiful. I spent a lot of money. Lo and behold, ours is the one that looks like, uh, uh, you know, a quilt that's been knit together. I mean, just horrible, right? Like has no business being, you know, blown up in the air. But nevertheless, this was ours, the one we picked. And it's kind of good old boy with a beard and his like little... 12-year-old son with him, you know, he's all excited about the hot air balloon ride. So we're like, whatever, right? Well, we're dressed to the nines. I mean, you know, she's in her prom dress and I'm in a tux or whatever, you know. And so we get into this hot air balloon ride and, and, and we start going up in the air and we realize really quickly that the view is amazing. The experience, if you're not prepared for it, it's brutal. Because you know what, you know what keeps the balloon in the air? hot air. So it's extremely hot and loud. I mean, crazy, right? You got this like furnace, right? So she's got prom hair, right? Like very flammable. I'm worried the whole time, right? So, you know, we finally, and so again, the view is great. The experience, it's a little rough. So now we come to the landing. Well, there's no landing gear on this thing. Wheels don't pop out of the basket. So we're coming and the ground's coming quick. And I'm like nudging the guy like, I think we're coming in too hot. He's like, no, man, I got this. I've done this for a thousand times, right? So we're coming in, hot air balloons coming in, ground's coming closer and closer. I'm like, brace yourself. This is not going to be good because the wind picked up. And then we finally hit the ground, boom, bounced up in the air like 10 feet, slide over, hit the ground again, basket falls over to its side. And then we slide like 50 feet. Now, mind you, we're prepared for prom, right? Not a rodeo. So we finally get out of this thing. I mean, hairs everywhere, right? And the good old boy's like, that was amazing, man. It was like the best landing, you know? And I'm just like, man, that was, I, could, I can see how this is an acquired taste. But the view... 
from the outside, it looks amazing. But the experience is like, I don't, I don't know, man. And I feel like, I feel like if we're not careful, the church can be something set on a hill, looks amazing. Everybody's smiling. Everybody's dressed up, Sunday best, right? How you doing? I'm doing awesome, man. Going to life group. But the experience on the inside, if we're honest, like, I don't know. It, it, it feels like it's just out of reach. That life that I'm looking for, if, we, if we're not careful. And so, and so today I really want to dig into what does it look like to be transformed? What is that about? What is it really about? And does it produce life? What is it that God is, is asking for? Is it be, just be different, be separate, don't, like, don't be like them? Or is there something more to it? Is there something different? I think if Moses were here, the guy who wrote the law, inspired by God, I think he would say, good behavior does not produce heart transformation. I think that's what Moses would say. Now that's a big deal because when Jesus came, Moses was the guy. That's who all the Pharisees pointed to, right? Like that's, it's, it's Moses. He, he, is the, he is the patriarch. And I think he would say, good behavior. We've, we've spent 3,500 years working on that. And it doesn't produce what you think it does on the inside. You remember when, um, when Jesus cursed the, the fig tree? Remember that like really bad mood that Jesus was in? And the disciples were like, dude, Jesus woke up on the wrong side of the bed. He's going on cursing trees. Because he saw a tree in the, in the distance, a fig tree. And it says it was in full leaf. Tons of leaves. So Jesus walked up to it and saw that it had no fruit. And he cursed it. Disciples are like, dude, I don't know. Jesus is just in a bad mood. I don't get it. Why would you do that? Why, why would you curse a tree? Jesus was making a profound statement. Some would say, see, no fruit. See, see, that's what God desires. He desires for you to be good, good behavior. And that's the fruit. But it's actually the complete opposite. See, when a fig tree was in full leaf, what that meant was it has fruit. So when Jesus walked up to it after seeing it was in full leaf, he had full expectation that there was amazing fruit on it because on the outside, it was in full leaf. But it had all the great stuff on the outside. It just had no substance on the inside. It was rocking behavior. I mean, every, polishing the outside of the cup. This thing was amazing. The view was great. But then he got up close and went, what's going on in there? Because, because the, the outside doesn't produce the fruit. So where's the fruit? Where's the transformation? Where, what's going on on the inside? And Jesus was making a statement and this was his big statement. I don't want you to act good. I've made you a way for you to become good. 
So are you tapping in to that pathway? That's the question. As a part of this church, as a part of this journey to be transformed, in what areas are you going, oh man, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of getting stuck in acting good. Jesus, you've, you've made a way for me to become. And what Jesus would say, what Moses would say is that the fruit comes first. And when there's fruit, then there's leaves. It's not, that, it's not that Christianity doesn't mean that people are set apart. It's, it's that the set apart comes from this amazing thing that happens on the inside. Jesus is changing my life. And because he's changing my life, because there's fruit on the tree, because of this incredible work on the inside, because of that, what's coming out of my life, what people see is starting to be a little less jagged a little less rugged. It's starting to take shape. It's starting to form. But that's not the thing that I've been focusing on. I've been focusing on this and then it comes up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So the title of my message, because that was a really long introduction, is The Pathway to Become. <laughs> the Pathway to Become. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a process but it's beautiful. I want to read Romans chapter eight. It's a long scripture. It'll be three different slides, but man, I want you to listen because it's so profound in terms of this pathway to become. The law of the spirit of life has liberated us from the law of sin and death. For God achieved what the law was unable to accomplish because the law was limited by weakness of human nature. Hello, anybody with me? By the way, this is the uh, Passion Translation. Yet God sent his son to be the sin offering so that God could once and for all condemn the guilt and power of sin. Mm. So now, don't miss this. Every religious requirement of the law can be fulfilled through Jesus living his life in us. For you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance. Come on, somebody. I, I could just be done right now. We can go to lunch. But you see, this is the backbone of the whole idea behind where transformation comes from and how we are set free from the religious duties, the do's and don'ts, and we're free to encounter and experience Jesus, allowing him to change our life on the inside. And what comes out is, I'm a different person. How I talk, the things I look at, how I treat people, how I treat the temple of the Holy Spirit, those things matter to me. But they don't matter to me because I'm striving for good behavior. They matter to me because Jesus is changing my life. He has set me free and now he's opened a way for me to actually become. How about you?
How about you? So I want to talk about two things really simply of how we become. And the first is we're transformed through believing. This is so critical. Romans 5, 1, our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness in us, to us, and he declares us flawless. He transfers God's righteousness. See, religion, religion says pretend. Pretend that you're good. Fake it till you make it. But it's not good enough to have good thoughts. And I want to pause here and, and talk about the series for a minute because we've been talking about renewing our mind and it's so powerful. And truly we are, God is inviting us to be transformed through the renewing of our mind, but it's not enough to just have better thoughts. That sounds nice. And frankly, there's a lot of people in the world. I know somebody that's just like, you know what? You just need to get into a better state of mind. And it's this humanism thing of like, you just need to access better thoughts about yourself. And that sounds really good. And I'm not opposed to better thoughts. But you know the problem with that? It doesn't address the sin issue. And I, I don't think I'm the, the only one to break this to you. Your good thoughts are not powerful enough to overcome sin. And they definitely don't make you clean. They may make you clean for a moment, Right? Like you've ever really screwed up and the next morning you're just like, better thoughts, better thoughts, better thoughts. I got to get out of this guilt. I got to get out of this shame. Come on, better thoughts in the shower, better thoughts. Yep, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. And it may work for a day or two, but at the, in the end, it's just pretending. Better thoughts. Just access something better. But I'm here to tell you that there's something very profound that you and I can believe. And our thoughts come from this belief. Sin cannot be overcome by pretending. Sin must be dealt with. And so in our belief system, we start with, oh, wretched sinner, am I? All have sinned. All have sinned. So in my in my believing, my belief isn't, there's nothing wrong. <laughs> the gospel starts with, no, there's a lot wrong and I can't fix it. There's a lot wrong with me, left to myself without Jesus. I am wretched. My heart will go wayward and I've tried to fix it. I've tried to fix it with religion and with good works and with good thoughts and it doesn't work. And so Jesus. My right thinking starts at the cross. What I wrote here is what I believe about myself begins at the foot of the cross. So my transformation comes from believing. What am I believing? I'm believing that yes, I am a sinner. Yes, I have a past. Yes, there's things that I cannot overcome by myself. But the good news is Jesus has overcome. He has done it at the cross. It is finished. And so my belief system is his righteousness is transferred to me, but you can't get there without acknowledging, yeah, because the thoughts come. 
The thoughts come about who you really are. The thoughts come about what you've done. The thoughts come about the thoughts that you still have, the tendencies you still have. Those come. And if you don't have a belief system to back it up, to say, no, my belief system's at the foot of the cross. No, it's rooted there. Remember when Jesus was at the Pharisee's house and he was having dinner and whatever, and they were like oohing and on over him. And this prostitute came, came in and started washing his feet, washing Jesus's feet. And the Pharisee's like, if Jesus knew who that was, he would never let her wash his feet. She's detestable. She's awesome. And, and Jesus went, hold a minute. See, the problem isn't the prostitute. The problem is that you think you're not like her. Oh, I see. You think your good deeds made you good. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're up here. She's down here. You see the difference? So you're good. So I, okay, if you're good, I'll, I'll just go, I'll go save the sinners because you're good. It's a goodism without Jesus. And I'll tell you, our world is full of it. Our world is full of people that believe in God. But why won't they make Jesus Christ the Lord of their life? Well, it, it requires us saying, I am a sinner and I can't bridge the gap without Jesus. That is our belief system. That is where and how we renew our mind is we start with, Jesus, I need you. You've saved me. And so the reason why I don't walk in shame, the reason why I don't walk in guilt isn't because I've just decided to be positive today. It's because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's changed my life. He's set me free. And that doesn't change by my behavior. And so my belief system is at the foot of the cross. It's centered on Jesus. And it has to be. It has to be. So I'm being transformed every day by putting my faith in the unshakable truth that the blood of Jesus has washed me clean. That's really good preaching, Shane. Yeah. I'm going to land on this. Um, we're transformed through beholding. So we're, we're transformed through believing, which, which, which ends up being a renewing of our mind. But it's at the cornerstone of who Jesus is. And last, we're transformed through beholding. I love this passage. But we all with unveiled faces, that, that's a, um, another translation is, is um, transparent hearts come before him as a transparent. God, you see me. Beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just by the spirit of the Lord. This is a, this is a great challenge of the church because Naturally, religion says, okay, I can get it, right? There's a, lot of, there's a lot of religious churches out there that say, I believe in Jesus and I believe he saved us. And so let's start there. And the very next thing, because he saved you is, you better get up and start working. Because now that you're saved, work out your salvation. Prove it. And all of a sudden, it, go, it goes quickly from, I have faith in something to now it's my responsibility to keep that going. I wrote this, striving is the enemy of beholding. Just ask, ask Martha. 
so worried. Jesus is coming over. I gotta, I gotta impress him. I gotta do my part. Mary found the place at the feet of Jesus. But you can make a, a strong biblical case for how our lives should revolve around good works. And listen, I, I said it before, the fruit. Jesus transforming our lives. The byproduct? I wanna give everything away. I wanna serve. And many of you, you're at the door every time it's, it's available. Come on, let's serve Jesus. Let's, do, let, let's live for him a hundred percent. But what it's, what it's motivated by, is it motivated by a spirit of Mary that pours out the oil or is it motivated by a spirit of Martha? Like, man, I gotta impress. I gotta do my part. I gotta, I gotta keep this going because otherwise he's gonna be disappointed in me. This perspective is rooted in the prodigal son speech. If you take me back, I'll work it off. I'll work it off, God. I know, I know, I know. I was... It was really bad. And so if you take me back, I'll work it off. And one day, maybe one day, God, I could be your son again. I'll be the servant to start. I'm good. I'll, I'll even sleep in the servant quarters. That's cool. One day, I could be your son again. Maybe. And so we sit in the pew and we say, I'm going to work it off. And one day, eventually, at some point, God will call me son or daughter, and I'll believe it. And until then, I'm gonna keep working it off. And just like that, the enemy steals from us the most powerful tool of transformation, beholding. Because servants don't behold. They work. And even if it's not, even if there's nothing in your hands, you're working here, working it off, justifying. And just like that, the enemy steals from you what is rightfully yours as a son and daughter, a posture to behold. Be. Beholding is simply the direction your heart is turned. It's the bridge from your head to your heart. Heart, church. It's a bridge. Beholding is the bridge. How do I get it from here to here? Beholding. Beholding. Sitting at the feet. Being. It's a posture. It's a heart posture. I don't have to do. I get to do, but I don't have to. We say here at our church, we want you, we don't need you. You want to serve here? We want you, we don't need you. Why? Because I want you to have the freedom to just go, you know what? I'm just going to be. Ephesians chapter three, verse 19, uh, Paul says, may you experience the love of Christ. Though it is too great to fully understand, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. May you experience the love of Christ. Not be taught about it, not read about it. May you experience it through 
beholding. Um, just kind of in closing, uh, as I was preparing for this, I was thinking about our wedding. And um, I don't know if I've ever even told you this. Let us have a moment here. Um, when I was on the stage during our wedding, it was a pretty big wedding uh, at Heather's Parents Church in San Antonio. And uh, my, my youth pastor, Tim Wimberly, who's been here to speak, he, uh, he did our wedding uh, along with Heather's dad. And they tagged him because Heather's dad wanted to walk Heather down the aisle. And so I was up on the stage with um, Pastor Tim, who was also officiating. And we were standing next to each other, you know, kind of doing this as Heather was walking down with her dad. And as she was walking down, Tim, Pastor Tim leaned into my ear and he whispered, I'll never forget these words. He said to me, don't ever take your eyes off of her. Don't take your eyes off of her. In other words, always have your heart turned to her. Because he knew something that I didn't know. That life's going to happen. You're going to get busy. Honeymoon stays, it's going to leave. And it's going to become more and more difficult to keep that posture turned. So he said, don't ever take your eyes off her. And I love that picture. But as I was processing that, God kind of did a switcheroo on me. Because he said, Shane, this is a beautiful picture because you're the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. We're the ones walking down the aisle. And Jesus is on the stage with his father. When we were a long way off. And he leans to his father and he says, I'm never going to take my eyes off of them. See, the reason why we're transformed in beholding isn't because we're so diligent to always keep ourselves turned towards God. Although that's his heart, that's his desire. But the reason why it's so powerful is because the moment that we turn even just a tiny bit and we catch a glimpse, what we see is the radiant eyes of Jesus on the stage and we see the love and the compassion and we say, no, I have been beholding you every second since before you were born. My eyes have never left you. And not for one moment have, been, have they been eyes of condemnation or guilt or shame. It's no, you are the apple of my eye. And so we, we see John, the disciple of John, and after spending time with Jesus and looking into his eyes, we see him record talking about himself. What he says about himself is, I'm John, the one whom God loves. That he was able to catch a glimpse of the Father's eyes. And it changed his whole identity. I'm not the disciple. I'm not, I'm not the one that 
hangs out with Jesus. I'm not the author of the Bible. No. I'm just the one he loves. It's just me, your son. The one you love. And I think at the end of the day, as we, as we journey along in our faith, that there is this beautiful invitation every day to wake up and go. My transformation is not on me. I, I, don't, I don't have the ability to make this any better. What I get to do is put my faith and my belief in what took place on the cross. And then I get to choose to turn. And so God, I choose to look past all of my fear of what you might think if I catch your eye. I choose to look past the guilt and the shame. I choose to look past the busyness and I just turn it and I get your eye. And in those moments, I'm transformed. That's it. That's how you become different. You catch his eye. And I'm here to tell you that he, he'll never take his eyes off of you. Never. I don't know how many people you have in your life that you can look in their eyes and they look in your eyes and you feel like you're seen and loved. Maybe no one. When you catch the eyes of the Father, you're forever different. Jesus, I thank you today that you never keep, take your eyes off of us. Forgive us, Lord, for making it something it's not and thinking that we somehow have to continue to perform. Our desire is to become more like you, Jesus. And so today we put our faith firmly in the person of Jesus Christ. God, and then we pivot our hearts. Lord, I pray for those today that maybe just have gotten too busy, maybe have been ashamed to pause and behold. Jesus, would you stir our hearts to gaze at the one who never stopped looking at us, never stopped loving, never stopped pursuing. And we give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming and being a part of our community. Uh, as we say every week, uh, this is a house of prayer, first and foremost, and it's a family. So please stay as long as you like. Uh, we'd love to pray with you. If you need prayer, I'll be up here. And um, have an awesome rest of the Sunday. And I hope you can join us on Wednesday for Life Group. God bless you.